Welcome to the Innovate CT Podcast. I'm delighted to have Mark Mathias with us today. Mark is a long-term resident of Westport, Connecticut, but the most important thing that attracts me to this conversation is Mark's role as the you designed, you thought about the Make Affair, and you run one of the most successful Make Affairs in Connecticut. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Mark. Rana, thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, as to your role in the community, what you do as your role in uh, public education? Sure, happy to do that. Uh, my role in the community, as you indicated, yes, I did create the um, Maker Fair Westport, uh, our eighth annual events coming up on April 27th. We're uh, planning on 15 to 20,000 people. We are now the largest single day event in the state of Connecticut. And uh, here in Westport, I'm on the Board of Education. I'm on my 16th year. Uh, I'm not here representing the Board of Education. The thoughts I have are just uh, my own. And uh, I do have a couple of kids in the that went through public school. Uh, my daughter just turned 21 over the last weekend. She went K-12 to here in Westport. And I have a son who's an eighth grader at Bedford Middle School. Thanks so much, Mark. So let's start by talking a little bit about um, what do you think is working in our public school system? And the world has obviously changed a lot. Many thinkers, not only in education, but people who think about the world we live in, they'll tell us that we are going through one of the most important revolutions or significant revolutions in human history. Uh, you know, there is the information revolution going on and then biotechnology revolution that's going on. Um, do you think our schools, they're preparing our students for the work that lies ahead of us? And what works in our secondary schools? That's a really big question. And you're right. There are a lot of things that have changed over time. You know, when I first got into education, I thought that it was a fairly static thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more I learned, I realized that what we are educating our students to be is is a dynamic changing world uh, when you look back years ago when we didn't really have uh, well we, we had more of an agrarian society the need for education was was less then we started having manufacturing you needed to have, train people to do those sorts of words work and now that we have more of a, an information economy mm -hmm. uh, that's a very different goal for education and so we have, over the years, have had to change our curriculum to adapt and make sure that we're creating students that are ready for whatever the, the world has to, to offer. An example I use is when I first started here in Westport on the Board of Education, we used to have a graduation requirement where you need to learn how to use a word processor and a spreadsheet. That was mm -hmm. a graduation requirement. Mm -hmm. We've now dropped that because students are tech savvy. Mm -hmm. In elementary school, they know those things already, so it's no longer a graduation requirement. Mm -hmm. So our schools working? I think they are. It depends on which school and what community it is. But there are, what I've seen is education is constantly evolving. We're looking to say when our students are graduating from our schools, what do they need to be prepared to do? We're calling it the portrait, portrait of a graduate. Mm -hmm. And what skills do they need to have? What experiences do they have? And something else they need to know is what is in that student's best interest? Is the student wanting to go to college immediately after high school? Do they want to take a gap year? Do they want to have this service time? Do they want to go into the, the service, the military, for example? Mm -hmm. Do they want to start their own company? And all of those are different. There are different needs in terms of educating those students. 
And so I think one of the things we're looking to do is, is try, and I see other districts doing this as well, is trying to say, what is it that each student needs? And instead of saying that every student needs the same thing, trying to customize the education for every student. And that can be a very broad spectrum of skills that they have. So if you were to think of two or three most important, or even more, four or five, most significant skills you hope a student, you know, to leave with or in, your, in a graduate's profile, if you mm-hmm. may say it that mm-hmm. way, what are the four or five most significant skills a student should have when they leave? Uh, a couple of things. I think, first of all, if a student can leave uh, high school, for example, because there are a lot of different grade levels, what they leave mm-hmm. high school with is different than what they leave college with. I would like to see every student leading, leaving high school with some skill that they feel they're good at. Mm-hmm. That could be art, that could be science, that could be mathematics, it could be sports, it could be something. I, I would like to see every student leave with something that they are comfort, com- competent and comfortable in or interested in. Mm-hmm. I also would like to see them have the ability to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Because so much of our information that we have now is at your fingertips. You can Google things, you can look it up on the internet, you can click on a link, you can find information. But figuring things out Mm-hmm. And when you run into a dead end, you say, well, gee, there's not a lot of information about this. How can mm-hmm. I figure that out? Or there are five different sources of information. Or let's make it even simple. There are two sources of information. Mm-hmm. One says the sky is blue. The other says the sky is green. Mm-hmm. Which is it? Mm-hmm. So the ability to figure things out and critical thinking is very valuable. Uh, those are, I think, two things that I would that are easy for me to say I think every student should have at whatever level they, they're, they're in. But uh, I'm focusing right now on the K-12. So let's talk a little bit about your make affair. You know, yeah. what what kind of, what was it inside of you that prompted you to, you invest a lot of time and effort and energy into <laughs> organizing this make affair. It's like a full-time job for the whole year and you do that in, you know, with your other responsibilities you have, with your, you know, board of ed, being a board of ed member is a full-time job. So... What, why do you think it's important and what purpose does it serve in our community and Connecticut as, as a whole? Sure. And I don't actually think of very many communities even around us in Westchester and close by who have something to the magnitude of what we have here in Westport. Oh, that's correct. Well, let me give you the origin story of mm-hmm. this and I'll try and make it uh, as condensed as possible. Uh, I'd heard of Maker Fairs. They're about 12 years old. I have some brothers that live out in California and they said, Mark, you ought to come out to the Maker Fair. It's really fun. You'd like it, all that kind of stuff. And I so I'm not going to fly out to California. But mm-hmm. when they started one in New York, I took my two children. I think my son was six and my daughter was 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. And we went to the one in New York. And we walked around really not knowing what to expect. And they had so much fun mm-hmm. just seeing these things, these hands-on things. And they didn't know they were learning. Mm-hmm. And I thought at the time, you know, we need to bring this to Connecticut. There mm-hmm. are a lot of people here in Connecticut that will just never make it to the one in New York. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, came back with this crazy idea of putting it together. And uh, I scraped together uh, some money to put it together. The local Rotary Club, the Westport Sunrise Rotary Club, gave me some money. Uh, a number of other uh, companies were sponsors of it. And we hoped for about 800 people to show up mm-hmm. at the event. We thought that would be a huge success if we could achieve that. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo and behold, we had 2,200 people show up that first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also did it with the Westport Library. Mm-hmm. And uh, Maxine Blyweiss was the uh, librarian at the time. And she said, you know, Mark, the typical constituent in a library is moms or nannies with their kids. She says, I've never seen more dads with their families in the library mm-hmm. uh, than on Maker Fair Day. Mm-hmm. And she said, this is a game changer for our community. Mm-hmm. So we actually raised more money than we spent. And we actually bought 
the first 3D printer for a library in Connecticut. And it went into the makerspace that was created by the library, the Westport Library, Mm -hmm. which they created the first makerspace in a library Mm -hmm. in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was a game changer. Mm -hmm. That said, this is a transformational idea for libraries, certainly. Mm -hmm. But we also saw students coming to the Maker Faire to say, they were meeting people. They were saying, how did you do this? They were seeing things they'd never seen before. We had, a, I think the first year we had a boat builder mm-hmm. that makes wooden boats. And we had uh, just all sorts of interactive things that people could come and see. 3D printers were big at the time. Mm-hmm. And they were new. And people would just swarm to see these 3D printers. And it opened people's eyes to things they'd never seen before. And to me, that was that was a fascinating thing. Is that this is important to our community. This is getting people interested in learning. This is getting people interested in being part of a library. This is changing things um, in a way that has never been seen before. And over the seven years that we produce these and our eighth coming up, we've seen even more happening to the community. We've seen businesses want to get involved because they're they're looking to get a name for themselves. Uh, They're looking to hire people and they're having trouble getting their company name known. And so we at the Maker Fair have allowed them to gain a presence, to become an employer of choice, to fill their hiring pipeline. Uh, we've had other people that have been at the Maker Fair that have, have made contacts for uh, investors or for distributors or for marketing or any number of things. And all of these things add up to you know, workforce development, economic development, uh, educational uh, strengths, and even community support. Uh, all of these things have gelled into this big uh, catalyst of an event that even though it's a one-day event, activities happen Mm year-round. And so we we really like to think of it more as an an annual event with year-round activities. So um, obviously it has had a large impact on the community, but specifically, how do you think an event like that impacts the learning of young people. What is how does it change or activate or their relationship to the process of learning? Oh, there are a lot of things that it does uh, to the learning process. For one thing, my experience is that many projects that are done in schools are the teacher assigns a project, the students do a project, they turn it in, they get a grade, and they're done. We've been able to take that and get the students to be far more interested in it because we say you do a project and then you're going to showcase it at the Maker Fair, And it could be an art project. It could be a science project. It could be a tech project. It could be a sports project. It doesn't really matter. It's something the students have done. Mm-hmm. And they not only do the project, but then there's something beyond the grade that mm-hmm. they're going to get. They get to stand or and deliver, either in a booth or on a stage or in a performing area, and they get to show the world what they've done. It's taking ownership of their learning, which is the most important process part of learning. It is, but it goes beyond that, too. It also gets them, they then have to explain it to someone else. Mm -hmm. So it's a stand and deliver Mm -hmm. or showing someone what you've done. Mm -hmm. And it it gives them pride of ownership of what Mm -hmm. they're doing. Mm -hmm. It gives them the opportunity to interact with people and ask questions about what they've done. Mm -hmm. So the, the project doesn't necessarily end at the end of the assignment. Like one of the things that I, I love every time it hits me in the heart every time. Every year I have some student that's walking through the Maker Fair and he'll come up to me and say, Mr. Matthias, I worked on a project this year. Next year, can I have a booth at the Maker Fair? Mm-hmm. I go, absolutely. We'll make sure you have a booth at the Maker Fair. And it's that kind of interest in getting some student, whatever age they are, 
to say, I want to put myself out in front of the public and I want to talk about this project I've worked on because I'm proud of it. Mm -hmm. And I worked hard on this and I want to tell people about it. It's that kind of things that are generally unavailable in most schools. I mean, they sometimes have science fairs and things like that, but to actually go out in front of a public and, and talk about a project means they have to prepare for it. They're probably going to work harder on the event and, and they're going to learn something about presentation skills and how to address things. And it's, so we, we really look at this as augmenting the skills they're developing in their schools, taking the projects that they're doing at school and adding value to them. So if you think about this, it has certainly had an impact on our community here in Westport, but how do you think it has impacted, impacted the state at large? Well, it, it certainly impacts the state at large. Let me start from an educational perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, we typically have, I think last year we had 12 different school districts represented at our Maker Fair, mm -hmm. and that was that was great. I think we're probably going to increase that number to, to 15 or 20 uh, mm -hmm. this year. Uh, and it, we had three sponsor universities uh, this last year. We had Sacred Heart University, Fairfield University, and U University of Bridgeport that were actually sponsors of our event. So we're, we're getting a lot of education people interested in being here. But as I said earlier, there are a lot of other economic uh, aspects that are helping the state. And state mm -hmm. Connecticut has has some challenges ahead of it. You know, we mm -hmm. have a brand new governor. Yesterday, he, he released his budget. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some challenges, but also some opportunities. And my experience with, with Maker Fairs is they can be a huge economic uh, growth opportunity for the mm -hmm. state. Just last October, I was invited to attend Maker Fair Rome mm -hmm. in Italy. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, it's put on by the Italian uh, Department of Commerce and also the Rome Chamber of Commerce. And they attracted 115,000 people from around the world. And that was a showcase for Italian innovation and businesses and companies. And what a great way to market your your, your geography, your state, mm -hmm. is by bringing people from around the world to see the innovation and the talent that you have here. And I believe that we should consider uh, our Maker Faire as, as a way to promote the state to the world. So that, you know, as an educator here in Connecticut, what gnaws at my heart is the the achievement gap and the difference, the disparities we have in the state. So to me, this also speaks of an opportunity when you said that you invited several other school districts to come and participate in the Maker Fair. How would we be, how would we use a Maker Fair to bring, say, more urban districts who struggle with many, many educational challenges more than some of the suburban districts, though in in my mind, actually, there are some deep challenges in front of suburban schools also because uh, with their high performance, it's almost become comfortable to be in to maintain the status quo. Whereas for an urban district, the ur the imperative to change is far, you know, it, it it is it is far more. It's deeper in that sense. So if you think about that, how would you think the make affairs could be a game changer in those those two? areas, you know, bringing equity to education, bringing those mm -hmm. kind of experiences to all uh, students or at least a diverse group of students in Connecticut? And then how would you use that um, as, as as a learning experience for suburban students as well as the urban students and in, in growing the state? All right. Well, first of all, thank you for asking that because I'm really pleased that this year we're going to have the largest presence from Bridgeport schools and businesses that we ever have. Mm -hmm. which is which is great. Um, 
But we also invite, and every year we typically get at least one or two busloads of students from Bridgeport to come down to the Maker Fair and see it. It's a free event to attend. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of it, I view the Maker Fair as really an equalizer. Mm -hmm. It allows people to walk in because the event is free to attend. They can come and they can see things that they perhaps have never seen before, whether it be an artist, whether it be a career, whether it be a 3D printer, whether it be a software designer, whatever it is. And they can, they can actually see and, and talk to people um, and say, how did you do that? And that's really neat. I'm, I'm, that, I'm interested in that. And so where a lot of these students may have never seen a 3D printer, to use an example, or a particular art technique, they can see that at the Maker Faire and they can say, that's interesting. Now I, now I understand a little bit more about why my teachers are wanting me to learn something. Uh, or they talk to a, a skilled tradesman, uh, maybe a plumber. Maybe we had a guy a few years ago that made concrete furniture. Mm -hmm. And, well, how do you make concrete furniture? We talked to this guy about how he makes concrete furniture. And there are stresses in it. There are um, product. There's how do you mix concrete. And so these students start to learn that, you know, maybe for me to do that, if I want to do that, maybe I need to learn some of the things that my teachers are teaching me. So it gives them that application rather than just a... Um, the, the book learning, if you will. It's, so if I learned this thing in school, I can actually do this thing because I, it sounds like fun or I can, I can make a job out of it. Hmm. And so we really expose people to things that many schools simply don't have the resources, the space, the faculty, the connections, and we can expose these students to things. And again, over time, they can go one year, they can see one thing, next year they can see another thing, the following year they can see something else. And so we really have the opportunity to be a very positive influence and support the educational needs of their schools. Hopefully these students can then go back to their schools and talk to the teachers and say, hey, I saw this thing at the Maker Faire. How can I learn more about that? So I want to um, ask you a question here. So I have taught in urban schools and suburban schools. Mm -hmm. And I strongly believe that both stu students in urban schools and suburban schools bring in their own set of skill sets to the learning process. And it's hard to say which one is better than the other, right? They're, they're both unique. And I almost feel to be a complete, comprehensive, successful person, you almost need both those skill sets. So we talked a little bit about what the urban students seem to have learned a lot from these make affairs. But do you think our suburban students also um, had an opportunity to learn from the, you know, their classmates in, say, urban districts. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, in, in particular, a couple of lessons that I think people take away from communities maker failures. This last year, uh, we had the American Welding Society bring a tractor trailer up of uh, virtual reality welding. Mm -hmm. And by and large, most of the people that came to the maker had never welded. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some had. Mm -hmm. But we have students that just simply don't have access to that sort of information or those sorts of tools to use. Um, but the thing that I, I really like that I think a lot of students, whether they're urban or suburban or however you define it, is is what we call resilience. Uh, many students, they, they like something that they're good at. If they try something and they're good at it, they that, that's fine. What I see with a lot of students is once they find something either hard or difficult or it doesn't work or whatever reason, they say, I, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. And that's a real challenge for people because in life you have to have resilience. You have to have stick-to-itiveness or grit. Mm -hmm. And what the Maker Faire show is that they come and talk to these people and they say, well, how did you create this, whatever the device was? Said, well, this is my 27th iteration. 
and I'm not done yet. I'm continually improving it. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that something that they might admire or they might see that's impressive didn't happen the first time the creator or the maker made it is a really valuable lesson. And for these people, and again, one of the reasons why maker fairs are so good is because you actually get to speak to a person. It's unlike a magazine that you, you read the story or a YouTube video where you just hear it. You actually get to talk to this person and hear what they have to say. And those sorts of life skills that to create something of value is oftentimes hard. It oftentimes does not succeed the first or the second or the 15th or the 57th time. And that oftentimes you're not finished with a project. You, you do something and then you say, well, here, what can I do to improve it? And so mm -hmm. you advance that, that knowledge and that learning over iterations. Uh, and, and those are valuable skills that I don't care what school you go to. The fact that you sometimes stumble, 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 succeed, succeed, stumble, 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 succeed is a natural progression to success. And I think everyone can learn that regardless of what school you're in. But the idea is that to stick to something is a very valuable skill to have. So that's the perfect segue to the last question. What do you think an ideal classroom looks like for you? What does it, what do you hear? What do you see? Um, what kind of work are the students doing? And that's, you know, and that's true for any kid in the state of Connecticut. How would you, how would you envision that? Well, it starts with the definition of a classroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we typically think of a classroom as four walls, chairs, and a, a whiteboard mm -hmm. or chalkboard or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think that definition is, is dead. Right? There, there are certain places where people come together to learn. But why does it have to be in a classroom? Uh, I think that every person learns a bit differently. Mm -hmm. And I may do very well in a lecture on some subject, but on another subject, I may need something more hands-on. Mm -hmm. And yet you may be completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. for, this, for the subject that I am good at a lecture, you may need a hands-on or you may need to watch a video or something like that. So I think the challenge of, of in particular, educators is trying to find out for the students in their classroom or their class, I guess probably a better way to say it, how do I connect with them? What's their learning style? And try and adapt the educational process to the best way for that student to learn. And so to my, from my perspective, one of the things I think we've seen happening a lot is education is beyond just a classroom. Uh, there's collaboration with things like Google Suite. Students can be at home and collaborating with each other over the internet. There are times when they need to be um, in a, like an, an art area where they're creating art that might be outdoors, it might be indoors, it might be virtually, it might be on a computer. And that's all part of the learning process. So to me, I guess the challenge, or at least what I'm seeing, is that learning or the classroom, the world is our classroom. That, that sounds somewhat trite, but mm -hmm. it truly is, mm -hmm. is that learning takes place everywhere. And everywhere you are is a learning opportunity. And the more we can engage those different uh, learning experiences and perhaps add cohesion to it from a teacher, uh, what did you learn when you went river rafting this last summer? What mm -hmm. did you learn? In fact, I was just skiing last weekend. To me, skiing is a physics lesson. Mm -hmm. And if a teacher can use the, the snowboarding or skiing to teach physics, what a great way to learn. Mm -hmm. So because when you're skiing down a mountain, 
there's a lot of physics involved. Mm -hmm. And it's those sorts of things that I hope that teachers now can bring into the learning process to help students gain the skills that they need, as we talked about earlier, to help them with whatever they want to achieve as an adult. Mm-hmm. Whether that be academics, whether that be a trade, whether that be starting your own business, whether that be an inventor, whatever it is, let's try and use our educational environment to provide them the skills they need to be successful as they define success. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of work for us educators, you know, to provide the cohesion in learning. That I, I like that phrase that you use that, you know, we need to think more about the cohesion of learning and think about the skills that we need to teach rather than the content that we so seem to focus on most of the time. The content is on the fingertips uh, of students these days. Right, but let me add to that. Again, I don't put it, I don't put the onus or the responsibility on that of the teacher. Um, sometimes it is, but parents are huge uh, in mm-hmm. terms of providing their, their children with opportunities to learn, whether it be like the whitewater rafting trip, you know, maybe that's something the family does, or maybe it's a hike in the woods, maybe it's a scouting activity, or or just going to the beach. Mm-hmm. That there are a lot of things that parents can be involved with, and probably the best learner. I know personally, the best learning I've had is when I've found something that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. and then I don't always need a teacher. I may need resources to learn. But the teacher is almost more of a guide rather than a leader at that point. And if you can get a learner, because mm-hmm. I'm a learner, you're a learner, mm-hmm. and we're not going to school I in hope. the classroom, yeah. um, the, the best way for us to learn is for us to have our own internal motivation. Mm-hmm. And if we can motivate and find that, that thing within a student that says mm-hmm. that they're interested in it, that's the best way to learn. Now, there are certain things, there are certain classes that not everyone likes or a student doesn't like and got to get through it. Right? I get that. But where you're really going to find the learning occurs is when the student is motivated to learn it on their own and they can tap into resources, friends, teachers, parents, coworkers, um, whatever that is to, to build their own body of knowledge. Also, I guess validating the learnings a student does from various different sources. One of the, I, when I think about this, one of the, one of the ways our natural human curiosity and our willingness to learn and, you know, grow is in some ways curbed by this, you know, the the restraints that many times a classroom puts on a student because, you know, you don't validate what a student has learned. Mm -hmm. And then you try and um, ask them to be on a path that you have chosen, you have designed what uh, you, you, you design what a learning should be. And that may not be the learning that works for that student. Right. I want to add something to that too, but back to the Maker Fair thing. What, <laughs> something we're doing this year is, I don't know if you've heard about this, our, our duck project. Yes. Uh, we, we, create, we are creating the, a world record for the world's largest 3D printed duck. Six mm-hmm. feet tall, 476 pieces. Mm-hmm. And every time I tell people about it, they smile. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, how, did you, you know, how can you do that? And mm-hmm. the idea is, is that it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And we created the idea. There were no rules. Mm-hmm. But, of course, there's engineering, there's physics, there's all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. that have, there, there are lots of learning opportunities here. But people look at this and they go, well, if they could do that, could I do something else? Mm-hmm. So we're giving them permission to think, to use the term, outside the box mm-hmm. and to try something they've never tried before. And that is a huge learning opportunity for people mm-hmm. to say, 
what are the rules that I have to abide by? Mm -hmm. And what are the rules that perhaps I've put in there for myself but aren't real? Mm -hmm. And we want to encourage people to think beyond what they, beyond their own restrictions Mm -hmm. and, and to inspire that sort of, well, what if, what would, what if I did this? Mm -hmm. How can I do that differently? And it's that sort of inspiration that leads to learning that leads to passion for a particular uh, subject Mm -hmm. and hopefully learns, leads to greater outcomes. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time to talk to us. I do hope many of our listeners go check out the Duck Project and they, um, they're they able to contribute to it, take part in it. That would be wonderful or come up with their own. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for having me. If you would like to get involved with Innovate CT, please visit our website at www.innovatect.org. There you can find links to our social media We currently are active on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.